Well, hello and welcome to Rockbridge. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you where, at whatever campus you have joined us from. So up in Hickson, in Calhoun, Dalton, Chatsworth, and Ringgold. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, sharing part of your weekend with us in this sermon series that we're, we kicked off last week called I Believe in God. But more on that in just a minute. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up, turn it on. We'll be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27. But just want to remind you, our, the most important service of the month for Rockbridge is First Wednesday because we believe in the power of prayer and the power of gathering together as God's people and praying for our cities, praying for our country, praying for one another, and allowing our elders and, spirit and prayer team to pray over each other in, in times of need. So all that happens on First Wednesday, plus we end or culminate uh, this service with the Lord's Supper. So I'd encourage you to be at your campus 630 uh, this coming Wednesday. So we started a series last week called I Believe in God But, and you helped us actually design this series with your questions of, hey, I do believe in God, but I have a question, or but I have a concern, or but I have a doubt. And uh, so I'm going to answer more of your questions as they come in uh, during the sermon toward the end as they relate to the topic we're going to talk about tonight. So this is the number. It's in your bulletin, 706-671-2171. If I don't get to your question or another question comes to your mind later, keep texting them in, and I'll be on Facebook Live this coming Monday. At 11 a.m., and if that time is not good for you, then you can log on and just watch it at your leisure whenever it's convenient for you. Uh, we hit a bunch of questions for about 30 or 40 minutes this past week, and I just appreciate your participation and the great questions you sent in and the transparency that we have at Rockbridge where uh, we're not afraid to ask tough questions, and we'll try to wrestle with the answers uh, and, and ask God for help in that. So here's tonight and this weekend's I Believe in God But. Why is it so difficult, God, to let go during difficult times? God, I believe in you, but I struggle to rely on you. Uh, I believe in God, but I start, like depending on God, trusting in God, uh, that, that's a tough one. Uh, why is it so hard? All of these you submitted. Why is it so hard to turn my fears and worries over to God? Why is it hard to trust God in particular with money? And so the way I, I want to summarize all of your questions and struggles, and I've had these questions and I have these struggles uh, presently, uh, the way I want to summarize it is, is with this statement. Hey, God, I believe in you or I believe in God, but can I trust him with this? And here's what I would believe and, and be willing to sort of bet on. Every one of us here today has a this. This for you could be your money. This for you could be a season, a situation. It could be your marriage. It could be how you do, deal with your job. It could be I struggle to trust God with my future. It could be issues about life and death. It could be a whole host of things. But I would bet that everybody has a this. And sort of to make this more relevant and practical and for you to focus on it, in your bulletin, there's a little blank. You know, we have fill in the blanks in our bulletin. There's a little blank there. Would you just write down, no peeking, write down what your this is? Hey, my this is, what I, what I just struggle to give this to God is, is this area or this season or, or, this, or this decision or, or whatever it is. So I believe in you, God, but I'm not sure I can trust you with this. And just write that down. Because, but let's, let's just clarify, though. The battle that we're talking about today, the battle that we're talking about in this, in this particular message is this. Do I trust God with this, or do I say, I got this? 
Do I say, I trust God with this, whatever your this is, or I, I got this. I can handle it. And, and what's challenging about it, isn't it, is because you and I, all of us, like control. I mean, don't we all really like control? And so this feels kind of like uh, un unnatural to trust God with this. This feels more natural. Hey, I got this. It, let, let's do a little survey, right? So when you go up to an elevator, if you push this button, even if it's lit up about 15 more times, you might struggle with control too, right? That that elevator's not responding to you, you know? So you keep pushing it. I'm like, hey, the light's on. It's coming, right? If this is what it looks like in your house when it's time to get the remote control, you might struggle with control. If this is a picture of you and your wife on who gets the control, maybe you struggle with control. Or like, and as a parent, you realize how little control you have. Look at this one. Uh, out of control or twisted up at the airport trying to control my dog and my kid, right? But I got them all tied up. I'm in control, baby. I got this, right? So seriously, though, isn't it, isn't it hard to trust God with something or trust anyone with something when in your heart of hearts you want to say, I got this? And we sort of come by this honestly because isn't it true you've been burned when you weren't in control? I mean, because you trusted him or you trusted her. And I'm going to be honest. I want us to be honest. Some of you are like, hey, I, I tried to trust God with that. And I feel like God let me down. It's okay, hold, hold that. It's okay to admit that. So you've been burned when you weren't in control. It's sort of normal and natural, right? Because you're born into this world dependent, and part of maturation is becoming independent. You're born into this world vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the outside elements. You're dependent upon your parents, and you gradually become more powerful, right? And so it's sort of normal to take more control or normal to take more ownership of your life. And then at some point, it being in control, just being responsible, and so it's hard, whatever your this is, it is hard, it is unnatural, it is difficult to say, hey, God, you take it. It is difficult to say, God, my finances, they're your finances. It's difficult to say, hey, God, my marriage, it's your marriage. It's difficult to say, God, my sexuality, it's yours. You got it. I don't have this. And so what I'm going to put up on the screen next, you are not going to want to believe. But I want to ask you to go there. There is a better option than being in control. There is a better option than being in control. And we're going to explore that in depth as we turn into our Bibles or turn them on and go to this uh, amazing story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27. And we're going to discover what someone does when they know they're not in control and how they give something over to God and how they say, God, I don't have this, you do. And, and so the better option is to trust God with your this and with my this. But we, we, even when we want to say, God, I got this and I don't need you. So in Acts chapter 27, here's what's going on. Paul has been waiting for like two years to get to Rome. It is like the culmination of his career as a gospel preacher, as a church planter. He's going to go to Rome, preach in the capital, uh, hopefully get an audience with Caesar himself, with the emperor himself. And it's almost like this is what he's been waiting on his entire kind of missionary church planter career. 
and he has to wait for two years in Jerusalem. And then he finally starts moving forward, uh, sailing the, the distance from Jerusalem into through the Mediterranean toward the capital of Rome. And, and it just the wheels start, sort of start coming off because the weather doesn't really cooperate with this journey that he's taken on the ocean or what we now know as the Mediterranean Sea. So we'll pick up reading in Acts 27, verse 7. So sailing slowly for many days. And Luke, who's the author of this, and Luke's a great historian, Luke really emphasizes the difficulty that they're having. And, and so you got to put yourself in the situation. When you face difficulties, uh, you kind of have some tendencies there. And when you face difficulties, that's when it's very tempting to say, I need to take more control, not give up more control. And that, that's true, right? You just, life is challenging. The kids are a mess. The house is this. It's like, I'm in charge. And you want to take control. So you got to understand that's sort of the position that these sailors plus Paul are in. So sailing slowly for many days with difficulty, Luke highlights that for us. We arrived off Nidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Solomon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens. By now much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous. And, you know, you can go inside Paul's mind a little bit. I mean, it doesn't, the text doesn't tell us what Paul's thinking until, we, until the next couple of verses. But, you know, hey, you've waited your whole life for this. And now it seems like God's not going to let you get this, which for Paul is go to Rome and preach in Rome. And it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. And it's like, God, do you have this or do I need to have this? You've thought that, right? God, I, God, I thought I was supposed to be married now. So do you have this, God, or do I need to have this? And we become like those outfielders in the outfield, like the pop fly goes up. I'm like, who's got it? God, I thought you had it. Oh, I got it. And that's your tension, right? Because it doesn't seem like God's going to come through or it doesn't seem like God's going to deliver or it doesn't seem like God is able to control or able to be trusted. So it goes on and tells us this, since the Day of Atonement, an important holiday for the Jews. So this would put us about late September, mid-October, and you did not sail in the Mediterranean from about mid-fall through the winter. So they are in a very dangerous time nautically, so to speak, or for sailing. So since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gives his advice and says, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss. Not only the cargo but the, and the ship, but also of our very lives. Now, when he says our very lives, he's admitting he's not sure he's going to get to do what he thinks God put him on earth to do, which is to eventually get to Rome and preach the gospel to the highest powers of the empire. So I, everything is in doubt. God, do I have this or do you have this? Who's really got this? Paul says, let's don't sail, let's don't go forward. But the centurion, who, was pay, who paid attention to the captain of the boat and the owner of the ship, rather than to what Paul said. So since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there. So they go against what Paul said. Hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and northwest where they would be buffeted by the winds and to winter there or, or protected from the winds. So Paul realizes something real quick. He's not in control. 
because he doesn't have authority. He doesn't have power. He's not the captain. He's not the Roman guard. And so Paul is not in control. So in that moment, you know, Paul's going to have a choice. And we're going to walk with Paul through the choice he makes and see if we can't make some choices too on how we can give God our this. Because that's really the tension that we're all struggling with and that we face. So when a gentle south wind had sprung up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They thought they were going to make it. So they weighed anchor, sailed along the shore, the shores of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called a northeaster rushed down from the island. And since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And for many days, neither the sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. So they are in now a situation that is increasingly out of their control. That is increasingly beyond the competence and the capacity of the ship's captain as the weather is not cooperating. Paul's whole destiny of getting to Rome seems in jeopardy, seems in doubt. And, and so when we face some out-of-control, when we face out-of-control situations, don't we face a couple of temptations? I think we face a couple of temptations. We've talked about this. We can try harder to control. We can try harder to fight. Another one is we can throw a pity party and invite ourselves to it. And that, hey, I'm not in control. Life is terrible. Life's not working out. There's no hope. And you become a victim. See, when I said there's a better option than control, the reason why a lot of us disagreed with what I said is because if you're not in control, you start to feel hopeless or you start to feel like a victim. And those are the two extremes. I, I, I'm hopeless, I'm a victim, or I'm going to try harder to retain control or to regain control. So our out-of-control tendencies are I try harder to control or I throw a pity party and invite myself to it. The other thing we start to do is, is this, and you'll see this come out in just a second, is... We have excessive rearview mirroring where we look behind us and we, we want to blame ourselves or other people or we have regret and we say, well, this is what I should have done. So they should have stayed in the harbor. They shouldn't have sailed. Or this is what you should have done. And, and Paul is going to now show us how we can start to give up control and how we can do that and the choices that we can make and why that is actually the better option. So here's what Paul says in the midst of an out-of-control situation. He says, now. He says, now, I urge you. So we're not going to look forward, backwards. We're going to look forward. Now, I urge you to take courage. And we're like, how do you take courage when you're not in control? How do you take courage when everything you've done hasn't worked? How do you take courage in the middle of the ocean when the sea and the weather is not cooperating and your boat's going to break up sooner or later? But now I urge you to take courage. Because, he says, there will, not, there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. So our hope's not in the boat. See, a lot of us, you know, what the problem is, right? We put our hope in the boat when our hope doesn't need to be in the boat. And we try to control the boat, but eventually the boat over, is overcome by the storm. So here, why, why does Paul say take courage? Why does Paul say, hey, you can move, we can move forward? What does he know that we don't know? He says, for last night an angel of the Lord of the God I belong to, the God I serve, the God I'm submitted to, the God I believe is in control, 
and serve, this God stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. God, Paul, God is saying, hey, my purpose for you is not in jeopardy. The storm is no problem for my purpose. I'm in control. And indeed, God has graciously given all of those who are sailing with you, and God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe God that it'll be just the way it was told to me. I believe God's word. I believe God is in control. I believe God's got this. So I'm going to share three choices I think you and I have when it comes to who's in control and who's got this, me or God, and who can handle it appropriately and how we can struggle to rely upon or or move to relying upon God. So the first thing is this, what to believe about this. You're this. What do you believe about you're this? And this is totally different than you saying, I believe in God. This is totally different than you saying, I I believe in Christmas or I believe in Easter. This is totally different than saying, yeah, there's a higher power. Yeah, I believe in God. It's what do you believe about God and your this? What do you believe about God and your cancer? What do you believe about God and your job situation? What do you believe about God and and, and your purpose? God and your destiny? God and your marriage? God and your spring break? God and your teenage years? What do you believe about God and this? See, it's easy to sort of say, I believe in God generically and generally, but it gets challenging when you have a this. And God's like, hey, who's got this, me or you? And we sort of know if God's supposed to have it, and we're supposed to trust God with it. But, but God, it, it doesn't feel like you have it, and it feels like you need me to help you have it, or it feels like you want me to take it from you. And that's the tension, is it not? So the question I'm asking is, what do you believe about God and your this? And if we're honest, if we're honest, and I, and I believe, if we're honest, a lot of us are atheists when it comes to this. Now, now you'd never say that, at least not in church, would you? But the way you live, the way you do handle your money, the way you do handle your problems, the way you do handle your girlfriend, tells God, you got it, and he doesn't exist when it comes to this. But Paul makes a choice, and it's a choice that's challenging because it's a choice not based on what Paul can see or what Paul is actually experiencing and and what Paul understands about the weather in the Mediterranean after the Day of Atonement. But Paul has something powerful. He has a word from God. And we go back in Acts chapter 23 where God first spoke to Paul and made made him a promise. It says, The Lord stood by Paul and said, Have courage. And Paul quoted that to us just a minute ago. For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. And this is the promise that Paul is reminded of by the angel in the storm in the boat or in the ship. And he's told, don't put your hope in the storm. Don't put your hope in the ship. Put your hope in the Word of God. And this is the tension that we need to see, and we need to realize the power of the choice that we actually have when it comes to control. So here we are. 
We've got our experiences, our emotions, and our perceptions. And our experiences and our emotions and our perceptions all tell us something about our this. And they tell us this is what needs to be done in this. And this is what you do to handle this. And this is what you do to be in control of this. And this is what you do to master this. And this is what you do to handle this. And now we have something that contradicts that. And it's revelation from God or it's God's Word. And God's Word seems to contradict this. Because remember what this is saying? After hope had faded, right? After hope had passed away, after we started to think we're not going to get out of this alive, Paul is reminded of this. Paul is reminded of God's Word to him. And so what Paul is saying he's doing is, I am not going to put my faith, trust, and confidence in this I'm going to move it over here and believe God's word, even when it contradicts this. And now we've made a step toward giving God control. Because we're choosing now. This is the power of choosing. I'm going to activate my belief or my faith or my trust in God's word before I decide what to do. Before I decide to act on what these things are telling me, I'm going to decide to act on what this is telling me. So Paul believes this over this in his this. That's the first step. What am I going to believe about this? What my experience has taught me or teaches me or says to me? What my emotions are saying, what my perceptions are telling me, or what God's told me. The story continues. So it's the 14th night. We're drifting in the Adriatic Sea, south of Sicily, south of Italy. Different little name than we have today. And about midnight, the sailors thought they were approaching land. Hmm, we're going to make it maybe. So they took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. They sailed a little farther and sounded again. They found it to be 90 feet deep. Then fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. You notice everybody gets spiritual in a storm. When I was in the military, it's like there's no atheists in foxholes. Everybody gets spiritual in the storm because we're not sure we got this. And maybe there's someone above who can help us with this? Some sailors, though, tried to escape from the ship, and they had let down the skiff, which would be a smaller boat, into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors, out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. So there's a second choice, right, that's going on right now. And the second choice is, what are we going to focus on? Where do we put our focus? Because your focus feeds your faith or your fear. So we have God's word that says we're going to make it. We have God's promise that says, Paul, you're going to get to Rome. But now we also have something else that the storm is telling us something. And the soundings are telling us something. That we're going to crash in, in the rocks, potentially, or we're going to crash on the beach. And so where do we put our focus? Do we put our focus on God's word and what God has done? Or do we put our focus on what our situation is telling us? And your focus will feed your faith. Your focus will feed your faith in God's word, in God, or your focus will feed your fear that things are not going to work out. So let me say this to everybody. Sometimes you can't fix your situation, but you can fix your focus. The storm's not going away, but you can fix your focus, even if you can't fix 
your situation. And there's a promise that God has for us in that situation. But a lot of times what happens, right? The storm gets bigger, our courage gets smaller. Paul wants us to do something else. And what we see Paul reminding folks is God's made a promise. He's got this. He doesn't need our help. And I want us to explain what, we, what really is going on in the, in, in the faith battle that's going on. So if we pull, let me pull out, my, let's pull out the table here. And so we're in a storm, right? We're in a storm at sea. And here's our temptation. Our temptation is to start measuring God by the situation we're in. And we measure God's competency by the situation we're in. God, it has been 14 days and you haven't done anything about this. God, I thought you were in control of this. But the way I measure it and the way I see it, you're not in control. So we're going to need to start doing some things our way and what we think is best. Uh, and we're going to start need to put you on the bench, God. I'm going to be your substitute. Because we measure God so often by the storm we're in. Let me say that again. We measure God by the length of the storm we're in, by the severity of the storm we're in. God, this storm is like this, and it just feels like it outweighs you, and it outweighs your power and your love. And there's another choice we have, though, and this is where Paul goes, and this is where I want to point us here. You can measure God's competency and his love and his goodness by the storm you're in, or you can measure it by the sun he sent. You can measure God's love and competency by the storm you're in or by the sun that he sent. And when we come to understand and grip, have grips with, what, with, with the son that he sent, and we realize that God, his, his love is boundless. This was planned in God's heart from all of eternity. And we realize that God's love and power and control is not bound by 14 days or my life expectancy is bound by eternity. We realize that God's love is bigger than any storm and any situation we've ever found ourselves. And you now, when you have established this, as Paul has established this, that this is ground zero for God's love, power, and control, and mercy, and grace. That this is ground zero for the dependability, the competency of God then you realize, I cannot measure God's love by the storm I'm in. I measure it by the sun he sent. And something is born from that that gives us something to hope in or cling to. And so we'll go to 2 Corinthians 1.20. For every one of God's promises is yes in him, is yes in him. So God made a promise to Paul, you're going to get to Rome. Every one of God's promises is yes in Christ. Therefore, all the, the, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Amen in Hebrew means truly, truly, or let it be, or so be it. So every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, because of Jesus, because I measure God not by the storm I'm in, but by the son he sent, I say, so be it to the glory of God. So be it to the promise God has made to me in Christ. Peter gives us another angle to look at this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. 
These are the promises that enable us or you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So our effort, our labor is not to control this. Our labor, our effort is to trust God through his promises with this. Do I control this or do I trust God with this? If I measure God's power, love, and grace by the sun he sent versus the storm I'm in, I find a promise to lean upon God. And I trust God. And I fix my focus not on the storm I'm in, but the sun he sent and the promises he gave to me that are yes in him. So you fix your focus. Might not can fix the storm or the situation, but you can fix your focus on the sun and the promises that you're going to say amen to in the sun. Now, you can lose your focus, and it can get kind of blurry, right? And you can lose sight. A couple of ways that happens. When we start separating our courage from our convictions, and our courage is more correlated to our circumstances. See, a lot of us, our courage and how we're doing is based on what's, what, the, what the sea state is, right? If the seas are good and the winds are great, hey, we're great. If the storm is raging and the winds are raging, we're not so great. What Paul does is he separates his courage. He doesn't separate his courage from his convictions. His courage comes from his conviction about who Christ is. Another way we lose our vision or lose our focus is we get more focused on how than who. God says he'll keep his promises. Well, how? Well, how? Well, how? You can how your faith to death. You can how your faith to death. And the next thing you know, you think, well, I can't trust God with this. The cross, the resurrection assures us God will keep his promises, but God very often does not tell us how he will do that. Another way you can get focus blurry or focus lose sight of focus is you get spiritual. You pray or you get spiritual apart from the truth and promises of God. This is why it's so important that we are grounded in truth. Everybody gets spiritual in the storm. That doesn't mean they're, they're getting spiritual is based on what's truth and based on what's dependable and based on what's right. See, there's a difference between what God has actually promised and sometimes what we think God has promised. And a lot of us lose, lose faith because we think, well, God has promised me this, or God ought to have promised me this, or God should have promised me this, when we have to actually become treasure hunters inside the Word of God, and we have to mine the Word of God for treasures, promises that we can bank on. So you will never find in the Word of God a promise that you will not get cancer, you will never find in the Word of God a promise that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise for all the days of your life. You will never find a promise in the Word of God promising you a hundred-year life. You will never find in the Word of God a promise that says your life will just be smooth sailing, baby. And yet so many people get mad at God, and God is like, I didn't promise that. God has promised to begin a good work in you in Christ and complete it in Christ. God has promised to take every storm and use it for good in your story, in your life, for eternity. God has promised to give you strength and mercy and wisdom when you ask for it. There's, th there's dozens, thousands of promises that are yes in Christ. 
But we get spiritual, but we, also, but we oftentimes don't get spiritual based on truth and actual blood-bought promises of Jesus. The promises we want to lean into are the one Jesus has actually purchased and given us. And ultimately, is it not true that one reason we so much struggle with God and trust in God is this. We have this thing going on in our mind. It's like, will God do what I want? Or will God do what he's promised? Part of your growth as a Christ follower, and maybe why some of you are not yet a Christ follower, is this tension right here. Because we do not serve a God, or we're not asked to surrender to a God who's a butler and a genie in a bottle. And so there's this tension, right? And I have it too. I face it this, and I'm like, well, is God going to do what I want with this? And I just want to say this in complete love because, and, and, and in complete understanding that I got, my, I got my eyes on the sun he sent versus the storm I'm in. God's going to do what God's promised to do. And that's not always what I want God to do. Can I still trust God with this? The cross, the resurrection tells me yes. Sometimes the storm tells me no. Who wins? It's our choice. It's our choice. So, we're going to believe God's word over our emotions, experiences, and perceptions. We're going to fix our focus on the object of our faith versus our situation. And then what's number three? When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, eat. Today is the 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival. For none of you will lose a hair from your head. We're going to make it. After he said these things, and had taken some bread, and Luke uses language very similar to what we use when we observe the Lord's Supper. He's not serving the sailors communion, but I think he's recalling something that communion represents. So let me show you. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it and began to eat, that's Lord's Supper language from Corinthians and in the Gospels, they were all encouraged and took food themselves. I think he's reminding himself that, hey, God's been with me. God's presence has been with me. God's been here with us, and we've survived the storm. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. So the third choice that we make to give up control after we activate our belief in God and His Word in this, after we fix our focus on God with this, now we act based on the horizon God gives us, not on the boundaries of this. And let me explain that from the text. Paul says we're going to eat because we're going to make it, because God has said we're going to make it. The storm tells us we may not make it, but God has set our horizon past the storm we're in because he promised it. So when you act on what God has promised, even when you can't see it coming true, that's the demonstration of faith, and faith is the Holy Spirit's cue to go into action and to help, and to move, and to provide. So we're going to act 
based on the horizon God gives, not the boundaries or the confines of this. So we're going to have hope in the storm. We're going to have joy in the storm. We're going to eat in the storm. The storm's telling us we're going to die, but God says we're going to live, so let's have a feast and give thanks. That's faith. That's faith that honors and glorifies God. So let me take some of the questions that might have come in, try to respond to some of those, then we'll pray and... uh, close our service. These are fantastic questions. Okay, here we go. Okay, I believe in God, but why are so many Christians so untrustworthy? We're sinners. We're hypocrites. Um, That's tough, isn't it? That's tough. Here's Here's what I simply say, okay? Please do not let the sinfulness of of people in the church rob you of the joy of trusting God. And I say this to the church. Our witness matters. Our trustworthiness matters. I always, being from the Bible Belt, I always feel like sometimes I just need to apologize because I realize almost every day how bad the church has hurt people. I believe in God, but, but can I trust Him with fixing the infidelity in my marriage? I am uh, incredibly sorry for your pain. Uh, I'm incredibly sorry for the, lo- the, the violation of trust that's happened in that marriage. And I can simply say this, if both of you And it has to be both. If both of you are committed to trusting the Son God sent and looking at Christ rather than the storm of infidelity, absolutely yes. Because when you look to Christ, there will be the power to forgive. When you look to Christ, there will be the power to repent, whoever is the offending party in the marriage. There will be the power to reconcile. There will be the power to heal. But what tends to happen is sometimes bitterness or unforgiveness rises up and we look at what was done to us more than what Christ did for us and that will incapacitate the marriage's ability to heal. Or sometimes the the offending spouse is not really repentant or or tries to throw it off and blame uh, the the spouse. Well, if you'd done this, I wouldn't have gone and cheated on you. And, And what are we looking at there? In both of those situations, we're not looking at Jesus. Both of you, if you would commit to look to Christ, yes, you'll believe, you'll fix your focus, and you'll act in accordance with your belief in God. And I have hope for that. There's marriages probably in this room, there's dozens in our church that have overcome infidelity by the grace of God. I believe in God, but my past is always brought up to haunt me. A fantastic question. Um, <clears throat> is your pa- The question I would ask back to you is, your past brought up by you in your mind, like you can't get over it. If that's, the tr- if that's what's going on, I want to say this to you. That is satanic. That is satanic. God separates uh, our sins as far as east as west. I say it like this. Uh, the price Jesus paid is always bigger than the mess we've made. Okay? Now, second thing is if there are people in your life bringing up your past in, in a condemning way, uh, then you might need to get a new group of friends. Friends that will remind you of God's grace 
And that, as we said last week, John 3, 17, Jesus came the world to the end of the world to save, not to condemn. I'd encourage you to read Philippians, 4, Philippians 3, excuse me, where Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And with Christ, whoever texts that in, with Christ, the best is always yet to come. The best is always yet to come. <clears throat> How can someone give God control over their life when their life has been nothing but a storm? Absolutely. Um, first, I, whoever sent that in, I, I simply say, I love you, God loves you, and uh, I, I, it's hard for me to even uh, know what to say if your life has been that, that way, and, and just to tell you, I, if, I, if, I, if you were standing right beside me, I'd, I'd pray with you and I'd, and I'd hug you, and um, so I, I just want to say that. However, the challenge for any of us in the storm is to look past the boundaries of the storm and look to the boundaryless power and love found on the cross. And, and to take hope in that, I, I encourage you to look at the people who followed Jesus because following Jesus in, in the New Testament, following Jesus did not make anybody's earthly life easier from a circumstantial perspective. Peter's life didn't get easier. Matthew's life didn't get easier. Thomas's life didn't get easier. No follower of Jesus' life on earth got easier. They lost life. They lost property. They lost loved ones. They had to leave their homes in case, many cases. Uh, it, be, being a Christian did not make anybody's life easier. But over and over, what we see in Scripture is Jesus is worth it. Jesus is the reward. The reward is not that our life is storm-free. The reward is we get Jesus, and he'll ride in the boat with us. And if I could just encourage you to look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. Let's pray. God, we all walked in here, and we kind of identified a this where we wanted to trust you, but we're struggling to trust you with a this. Lord, I just want to pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just be so prevalent and, and so evident in our minds and our hearts and with our thises. That God, first of all, we would believe you in this and with this. God, that we would focus on you, not on the storm, not on the situation, not on the this. And God, that if we really believe you love us as the cross tells us you do, if we really believe that you're in complete control of everything as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead assures us that you are, how then should we act knowing we have a God who loves us eternally and is all-powerful in everything? And I pray, God, that we take a step of faith, that we act assured that you love us and focused on who you are. Help us all right now, God, to see Christ in the boat, to see Christ over us, with us, in us, for all of eternity. God, I want to pray if anybody here right now has never trusted you with their this, and that is their life, that is their eternity, that is with their sin and guilt. And giving you just that steering wheel and said, Jesus, come in, take over, be my Lord and King and Savior. 
God, I just pray right now with the power of the Holy Spirit, they would say yes to you. You've said yes to all of us on the cross in Christ. May we say yes to you with our this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.